going for just a moment longer to the only one who's worthy. Holiness does have a name and it is Jesus. The word does have a name and it is Jesus. Healing does have a name and it is Jesus. Can somebody just speak that name right now? Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I am thankful for what I feel here tonight. Thank you to this worship team and all the time I know is put into the music side of things. I can speak from experience. Um, They give their all and they practice countless hours and our fearless leader does a lot of work on that end that we know not of. So I'm I'm glad to be with family tonight. I was looking around here and it's it's the fam tonight. I like when it's the fam. And you know, I thought that as I was preparing for tonight, I thought that. I'm like, you know, it's the family usually on Sunday nights and it's more intimate and God can really speak to just us, right? Those that are working for the kingdom. And I look across this this sanctuary tonight and I see people that are working for the kingdom. And so I don't think I'm going to tell you anything you don't know tonight. I think you all believe in the power of God. I think many of you have experienced it. You're coming to church two times on a Sunday. That says a lot about your love and devotion to your God. And so tonight, um, the topic that I have is, is one that actually God has been leading me through. They make the best sermons. <laughs> you can't preach it till you live it. And he's had me live in this one for quite some time. And so I want to just really tonight more share with you what I've found in Scripture, um, what I've dug out in study, and maybe there will be something you haven't heard before, um, or maybe there will be something that will confirm, like our wonderful pastor did for me this morning, the word that God is speaking to your heart, um, and take us deeper How many of you want to go deeper? I just want to go deeper in Jesus, and that matters the most. And so I hope that helps us do this here tonight. Um, If we could just turn in our Bibles to Psalm chapter 34. And I'm just going to be reading one verse, um, verse 14. And it's a short one. Psalm 34 and 14. And it just simply says, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And I want to focus on the last portion of that after the semicolon. Give me my little English lesson to you. Seek peace and pursue it. So I want to talk about the pathway to peace tonight. Let's, let's bow our heads and just pray. Thank you, God. You are already here. You are already seated on the throne. 
and you are in control, God. And I believe tonight, God, you have a word for your people. God, those that are doing, those that are in the trenches, God, they are working, they are serving, they are in their prayer closet. God, they are desirous for something, God, fresh, something deeper in you, God. And I ask tonight that you would meet us here in the sanctuary, God. Those watching online, God, go to where they are. Lord, and I pray you would unify us all in this room, God. Give us all the same heartbeat, the same mind, the same desire, God, to serve, Lord, your kingdom. And God, not to just serve, but to see your kingdom advance. God, we want to see your kingdom and your will done here on earth, Lord. And so use us, God. Use us in, your cl- in these closing moments of time, God. Stretch the church. Grow the church. Use the church. Can I get a witness in the spirit tonight? Stretch me, Lord. God, use me, God. I want to do something for you, Jesus. Use us here tonight, God. Unify us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A few months ago, the Lord spoke simply to me, and it was to me personally, how can you help someone else put on their breathing mask if you aren't wearing one first? And as he spoke that to me, I saw um, a vision of the inside of an airplane, and I was seated next to an individual. I don't there was, you know, I could not see the individual's face. But I, I was wearing, you know how the breathing masks come down on an airplane when something's going wrong, right? Usually that's why they're there. Um, and, and the stewardess, the airline stewardess will always tell you, work, put yours on first before you help anyone else. And so as God spoke this to me, this is what I saw is me wearing the mask and, and helping the person seated next to me on the plane. And as I began to consider and pray about what the Lord was trying to tell me, I actually started making ties to sermons. Um, I've, uh, the sermon, the, the messages we've been hearing have just been so rich. And I, I was, I'm making ties to, to what the Lord is speaking to me and he, what I'm hearing in sermons. And, and God began to, to deal with my heart about my character. And I think... Today, what I'm seeing in our world and what I believe God is honing in the church is there, there might be just a small crisis in character. I don't know if anyone feels that or feels the Lord working overtime on you. I know that he does that, but I feel it in overdrive as we're getting closer. And I believe that he's doing it because he's refining the church. I, I believe God wants a church that is able to communicate out there what needs to be communicated, which means the character has to be lived out. We have to have possession of it or at least a grasp and an understanding of what it means for our lives. Um, Because the world does need the church. Um, Contrary to maybe what we feel sometimes or, or people not, you know, wanting to be at the church or they do need the church, they do need the message that we have, 
and they do need the, the things that we have and the joy and the depths of love and, and, and the times around this altar. Brother Carlson, you mentioned it, this, the, some of the life-changing things that have happened to just people in this room. Everyone needs to experience that. And so there is a refining that needs to take place in all of us so we're ready to shine, we're able to show um, the world this is needful, right? Um, and I believe peace is among those traits that the Lord is actually calling the church deeper into. Um, for when we're peaceful in our heart, mind, body, soul, we can hear, see, and think like the creator intended his creation to hear, see, and think. We're able to place the breathing mask, if you will, over our face and breathe in some oxygen, right? Deeply in and deeply out at a slow pace. And this gives us a greater opportunity to check on people around us. When we're slow and we're breathing, we're aware. We're, we're cognizant of things. Have you ever been in a hurry and you miss stuff? Okay, it happens. And I think it's easy to stay that way, to live life in the fast lane. And peace is just the opposite of that. And so we have to be aware of, of our need for it. And so what is peace? It is a word that seems elusive and difficult to obtain. When one first thinks about it, it might even seem impossible to grasp a hold of it. How many in here want peace? I think that's a good place to start. Yeah. We see pictures of the dove with the olive branch in its mouth, and we think about peace. The world devotes much time to the concept of peace. The idea of it is appealing and nice. We talk about it. We dream about it. We plan for it. We draw conclusions about it. Much of man's time has been spent trying to figure it out, and still the world sits in a state chaos, rushing, there's still killing, there's still sorrow, there's still unrest. We want peace, we really do, but do we understand that peace is, is not a right? It's, it's not something we just get to have because it sounds nice. It takes work, long, painstaking work. It requires the words of the psalmist that I just read to you. Seek, pursue, and we must do so with desire, with passion, with, with curiosity to say, what don't I know about that? And what do I need to learn about that? I'm not talking about world peace tonight. You could travel all over. You could go to conferences on world peace. I, I think it's a wonderful desire. I'm not saying, but for here, for tonight, that's not what I'm looking to achieve. I'm talking about the peace of God. The peace that engulfs your whole being, your mind, your spirit, your body, your soul. That's the peace that the the, the church needs to possess. 
And many of us are breathing spiritually at very rapid paces. Life has us feeling hopeless, tired. I meet so many people that are like, I'm, I'm just tired. And run down in every area. We seek peace in our jobs, peace in our homes, peace at church, peace in the shower, <laughs> and peace in the quiet. I just need some peace and quiet. How many of you have ever said that? But somehow, it seems as though peace is sometimes hiding from us, playing some cruel game and making us feel like we're never going to find it. Well, even though peace seems to be hidden, the psalmist says to seek. We must remember where to seek because peace won't be found in a place or a person, an activity, a moment of silence, or even in all the ideas that have been presented around the globe. Peace will only come from the God of peace. I did some study into Jewish culture, and the Jews know this. They know the God of peace. That is his name, the God. Peace. His name is peace. They know that peace is worth striving for and worth seeking. They state the state of being in shalom, it's more than just a greeting to the Jews. It's not just shalom, hi. When you actually are saying that, you are saying so much to a person. It is not just a greeting. And so the state of being in shalom is actually the ultimate goal of life for a Jew, is one that they should love and desire at all times. But being in that peace did not mean everything around the person was in a state of rest. So when they, when they would state things are being, I'm in shalom, when they use it as a verb, it would mean things like, um, you know, maybe their cows didn't get out of the pasture that day. My, my pasture is in shalom, okay? They would use it as a verb to, to kind of talk about the state of something being complete, it being whole. But when you start to talk about how they feel one to another with peace, it's very different because they don't see peace as everything is perfect in my life. And actually, they welcome and invite hardships because they actually believe that it means God is working on their behalf. And so that is why James 1 and 2 says, count it all joy when you encounter blessings. No, count it all joy when you encounter trial when you encounter hardship. We love to sing, every promise in the book, it's mine. Have you ever heard this song? This is an old song. Some of you are looking at me like, I don't know that one. We sing that, and we used to sing that when I was a kid. Every chapter, every verse, every line. Okay, so let's talk about the promises that are in the book. They're not all good. There's promises of good, and there's promises of hard times. God does not just 
silver lining everything, right? And so we go, mine, 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 every promise in that book, it's mine. And we're forgetting what we're singing. So we got to invite the good with the bad to see, to see that this is really what his promises contain, right? Trials will come and bad things can happen. Our reaction to these circumstances are what produce a depth of peace in Christ. Okay, so, so this is, God's looking to see, to see our reaction to them. My husband and I actually a few years ago um, were given a book on Christian character. And I was quite interested as I began to study out, you know, what God was teaching me. Um, and I flipped to this, and I went to the little concordance in the, in the book, and I found this section on peace. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be so good. This is going to be this huge, big section on peace, and I'm going to learn so much. And I, I get there, and it actually wasn't as big as I thought it was going to be. And it takes me, actually, from that section and says, you need to read this section first. And it was a totally different word, okay? And it's, it was the word humility. And the exact statement given in the book was humility blossoms into peace. I was like, okay. James 3, 8, 13 through 18 says, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. Verse 16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. And then 17 says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. I found this scripture interesting because it talks about envying and strife. And if you look into humility, the opposite of humility is pride. And pride is usually what gets us in a lot of trouble because pride is what will help have us rise up and fight battles, right? No, it's my way. No, I'm right. No, you're wrong. No, that's not how that really goes. No, you don't know what you're talking about. Okay, well, let's just not talk anymore. Or let's get on your side. You gather your people. I'll gather my people and let's start a war, right? And so all of that is birthed out of pride. And here we see that if I want to have peace, I've got to have humility. So that means I've got to lay down my weapons. I've got to lay down my desire to battle. I've got to lay down my desire to win. I've got to lay down my desire to have my own way. Um, I've got to not think that everything is, is everyone's against me when something is bad or, go, or goes amiss in my life. The humble man has been characterized as one who yields himself wholly to God and wants to live not in his own strength, but only through God and for his glory. 
When this burden truly come, consumes us, the attitude and experience will begin to speak through our whole lives. So when we actually get this concept of humility in our lives, it actually speaks for itself. You don't have to tell people you're humble when you probably shouldn't, <laughs> right? We see this picture of humility when the centurion comes to Jesus in Scripture and he wants his servant healed. Do you guys remember that story? Okay, what does he say to Jesus? He says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. And, and you might look at that and go, well, come on, you know, get Jesus under your roof. He was showing great humility because he was, a, he was in command. And so he's going to this, this man of God and he's saying, I'm not even worthy to have you step in the foot of my house. And Jesus responds and is moved by his faith. He highlights it and performs a miracle because of humility. That's powerful. Moses was called the meekest man on earth, and yet he was not allowed to enter the tabernacle when God's presence filled it. Could he have staked his claim? Oh, come on, I, I brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. I'm leading them. Why can't I be in there when your glory falls? Meekest man. He wouldn't, he wouldn't even question God on that. That was not the role he was intended to play. And so he let God make the calls on that. Humility is not a quiet spirit one can possess in order to trick someone into thinking he is truly humble. But rather, humility is thinking so much of God and others that you forget to think about yourself. You don't have to think poorly of yourself or even take a quiet fashion in your spirit to be humble. You just need to not think about yourself. That's how simple it is. It is not a posture. Humility is not a, a bodily look. Humility is no care for self. It's, it's not cons no concern with what's going to happen to me. How is that going to look for me? What's the outcome for me? We don't take consideration for the outcomes. And Pastor talked about outcomes this morning. We want... We don't take the consideration for the outcomes we want or the things we think we deserve or need. Rather, we want to see someone else pull ahead and achieve their wants and desires. We will esteem someone else better than our own flesh. And this is what the Jews are saying when they say shalom. They're saying, I hope your cows in your pasture are doing better than mine. I hope your family is in better health than my family has been. They're actually extending an esteem to the person they're greeting and saying, I want best for you. Romans 12 and 10 says, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. And this next part I'm going to share with you. I was talking to Brother Rico today, and I told him, I said, bro, I only, <laughs> I only feel God telling me two things to share, and the rest I don't know. 
And so if I don't say anything else tonight, this is what God wanted you to hear. Because I couldn't talk to my husband about this without weeping. I couldn't put it in my notes without weeping. I don't know why. But the Lord wants you guys to have this, okay? So this is for you guys. We, we see this preferring of one another in Scripture in the, in the friendship between Jonathan and David. And Jonathan was actually the son of Saul. I know many of you probably know that. He was a prince. And David, merely a shepherd boy. Yet Jonathan understood who David was and never pulled away from him. Even though he would be the next king and Jonathan would not. And I read this in scripture. I went and I, I looked chronologically at 1 Samuel and the timeline of their interactions with one another. And do you know that one chapter, David slays the giant. And immediately, immediately upon his exiting that field, he comes to Saul. And in that conversation that David has with Saul after he comes off the field from slaying Goliath, Jonathan immediately had respect for him. And in the next, very next chapter, the first four verses, he is giving him his robe. He is giving him his weapons. He is giving everything he has to David and saying, you're king. Now let's, let's wait here a minute. This is the next in line to be king. Jonathan was next. He was going to get the kingdom from his father, and he was going to be ruler. And here comes some snotty-nosed shepherd kid. He goes out on the battlefield, kills a giant, and, and the rest is history. And Jonathan just does this. No fight. No well, who do you think you are? I'm the prince. You're nobody. That could have been his response to Jonathan. You don't belong here. What are you doing playing the harp for my dad? Go back to tending your sheep. Could he, he could have talked to him like that. But you don't find anywhere in Scripture where Jonathan does that. Instead, he humbles himself before David and says, you're God's plan. You're God's man. And you know what? There's not one place in scripture where it says God came to Jonathan and told him that. Jonathan knew it. He saw David. He saw what he did. And he knew it. This man is next. This man deserves the kingship. And I'm just going to bow myself out of the way. Here's my weapons. Here's all my stuff. Here's my robe. And a couple chapters later, we see Saul. You know, you'd think Saul was Jonathan. The way he fought David every step of the way. You'd think it was, you know, David was taking the kingship from him. Because he tells Jonathan, it, we're going we're gonna to kill David. And Jonathan's like, Dad, what are you talking about? He has done nothing to deserve you talking about him like that. 
Don't you remember, Dad, when he killed that giant? Don't you remember the victory he won for us? He saved us, Dad. Why would, he has never thought harm or evil against our house. Why would you want to kill him? And Saul, Saul actually backs down. And he's like, you know what? You're right. And so in that moment, Jonathan became a peacemaker. Jonathan not only possessed humility, he became the peacemaker between a raging father and his friend, even though his friend was taking his spot. No, no, Dad, this is a good person. This person is anointed by God. And Saul would say things to Jonathan like, why are you friends with him? Why are you? I mean, he would speak. You talk about the enemy speaking to someone to cause division, and Jonathan never gave in to any of it. There's, there's another, you know, the story of him out in the field where he saves David's life multiple times. He's going before his crazed father, and he's standing in the gap for David. And all the while, David is, is slated for his position. The last, the last spot um, in Scripture that you see, um, I'm sorry, everything just went black on my laptop. I know it's not because it's dead. I know it's because it just timed out, but I can't find my button. There it is. Um, the last spot you see Jonathan in Scripture um, before his death and he's talking with David, he actually sneaks up on, sneaks out to see David. And it's in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 16 through 18. It says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee. How prophetic. He's like, my dad's not going to touch you. There's no way it's happening. And thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee. And that also Saul my father knoweth. And they too made a covenant before the Lord. And David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. And so we see here, David and Jonathan actually had plans to rule the kingdom side by side. David's like, yeah, you're going you're gonna to help me. You're going to be right by my side. I promise that to you. And so later on in Scripture, when he honors his son, that's David keeping a covenant with his friend. And so some of us might look at the life of Jonathan and say, oh, he really missed out. Poor Jonathan. You know, here he never got to be king. He dies in battle. How tragic. I don't see it that way when I think about peace. I think, how great of a peace do you have to have to be able to just bow out? I want that peace. I'm not saying poor Jonathan tonight. I'm saying, God, put the spirit of Jonathan inside of your servant because that, that is the spirit 
that gets what God's will wants. And God's will was done because David was the chosen. David was the anointed, but he wasn't without Jonathan consenting and without Jonathan there saying, I'm going to strengthen your hand. I'm going to create peace. I'm going to save your life from my father. I'm going to do all of this even though I'm not the one that gets the crown. What a beautiful beautiful picture he paints for us tonight. Can we just lift our hands in that? Can somebody ask for that spirit? God, I feel that so deeply right now, God, that you are wanting that to rest on our church, Lord, that you are wanting the spirit of a Jonathan, God, Lord, all over this place, God, to lay upon us, Lord, that we aren't so full of ourselves, God, that we think your kingdom can't advance with Without big eye, Lord. But God, remove us from that. So, Lord, we can obtain true, lasting peace. True, lasting peace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Church, I want that so bad. Can somebody just reach with me for a minute here? I don't want to rush. If someone's feeling that in their spirit, if someone's saying, you know what, I don't always feel like I'm a big part, or I don't always feel like maybe there's, there's a witness in my spirit, or that God is going to use me for, for certain things, but I want to be a part I want to be a part and I want to have humility in my spirit so that God's ultimate will can be done. Oh, I feel that in here. Someone feels that. Someone wants that tonight. God, I want you to, to get rid of me. Get rid of me, Jesus, so that all that remains is you. I was recently talking with a friend of mine. I hope she's watching tonight. She said she was going to try. But she told me a story of Brother Jason Sisko, and I don't think she'd mind me telling it. She said Jason Sisko would pray in his room at a very young age, and he would be in there by himself for hours, and his dad loved listening to his child pray, and I don't know what parent wouldn't want to listen to their child pray that I think any parent would say that. But he would pause outside of Jason's door and just hear his prayers. And one day he, he came past and he heard this thumping noise, just real methodical thumping, thump, thump. And he said that he didn't know what it was, and so he just kind of pushed the door back a little bit and here sat this 12-year-old boy cross-legged on the floor, and he, was, he had his fist, and he was, just, he was just hitting his chest, and he was saying, God, let this flesh die. Let this flesh die, God, so that you can have your way. And he said as a parent, he stood outside his room, and he just cried. And my friend shared with me that he couldn't, he could never share that story without weeping 
because it's one of the most vulnerable prayers you can pray to the Lord is, God, get my flesh out of the way. I want what you want so bad, God, that I don't want there to be any hindrances in what you're trying to do. And it takes such a humble, humble approach in your spirit to say, God, get rid of my flesh. Humble me. Take whatever's worldly, whatever's sensual, whatever's not of you, and remove it from my life. I don't want it anymore. When Jonathan said he'd be next unto him, we see Jonathan confirming to David that the kingdom would be his. He knew. The place that he was supposed to have, he would lay down so God's will could be done. And Pastor so beautifully stated it this morning, and I'm happy he said it twice because I was able to quote him. Um, But he said that we must commit to the process and leave the outcome to God. And I thought that was so good because I was like, man, you can't, you can't really do anything for God when your eye is on the outcome. It's a big roadblock. If you're just like, outcome, outcome. You're, you're missing from here to there. And you won't move if, you, if, if your eyes are always on the outcome. I got to look at where I am. And so I feel like as I look at Jonathan's life, I see him standing. You know how people do trust falls and you have people behind you and, okay, put your arms out, close your eyes, or they have you do this and you just like go straight back into people's. And you're trusting that someone's going to be back there to catch you, right? I feel like that's kind of how Jonathan lived life. Trust fall, David. I know God's got this, right? And so I recently asked the question, what does it look like to lean on the Lord with all your heart? Because I think all of this, and and let me remind you, I'm talking about peace tonight, but we can't get to peace. That's why I'm calling this the pathway to peace, because there's so much between you and peace that has to be laid foundationally for that to be the goal right? And so trust is another big component when you talk about leaning into the Lord. And my friend began to share that learning to lean on God is just that. It's learning, right? It is a process. It is not just, okay, I'm going to just trust fall. You know, you see people that just start doing trust falls and they're like, yeah, They'll stop, they'll fall on their own butt, They'll because they don't trust that someone's going to be back there to catch them, right? And so it becomes this learning, ever learning how to lean. And so some people will lean in slightly, some people will lean in a little more slightly, <laughs> and some people will just give their full lean, and they'll trust God, right? And so it's usually circumstances that require a leaning on the Lord. Would you agree? Right? And it's usually not the easiest of circumstances. I wouldn't say that I'm like, it's hard to lean on the Lord when everything is sunny 
and I'm skipping down the highway, right, of life, but it's a little more of a harder thing to learn to lean when tragedy strikes, when things don't make sense, when outcomes are unknown, when life takes a sudden left turn and you thought it was going to go right, and now you're standing at a crossroad wondering, I didn't think that that's where we were going, Lord. Right? I, I trusted you. I thought that we were going this way. And, and really, you had something else in mind. And we see this as the disciples climb into the boat with Jesus. And they head out on the Sea of Galilee. And everything's going good until everything's not going good. Right? And where's Jesus? He's sleeping. I think it's so typical. Like, yes, he, he, that's great. I'm, I'm glad he was sleeping. But let's, let's not forget, he was not not there. He was just not changing the circumstance that the disciples were in. It says in Mark 4, 36 through 41, And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Verse 38. And he was in the hinder part of the sheep, ship asleep on a pillow, and they awake him. I think it's great that he had a pillow. Isn't that? <laughs> he doesn't just sleep. He had a pillow. Do you think he carried that with him everywhere he went? Like, oh, I need this. I just preached to 5,000 and fed 5,000. I need a pillow. Do you think he had a memory foam pillow? I wonder what kind of pillow Jesus slept on. Was it his backpack? I don't know. Okay, that was free. Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? So the storm is raging. Things aren't going so well for these expert fishermen. So I, I did a little research on the Sea of Galilee. And they, they talk about the wave, the ma masses of waves. And if you look at where the Sea of Galilee is situated, it actually is more like a big lake. Um, and it the Mediterranean Sea is kind of over yonder, right? But it's, it's down. Like, if you come off the Mediterranean, you go way down into the Sea of Galilee. And so the winds can actually come up over the mountains pretty quick, and they can cause the sea to become pretty stormy and turbulent really fast. Okay, and so that's why when they say there, there probably was no storm Sighted when they cast off, and it just came up over the mountains that fast, okay? So they're rowing, and they're doing everything they can. Now, you have to remember, these men were not in a boat for the first time. This was not the first time the disciples set sail. They were experts. These were not small three-foot waves, these, this was not just a small little gust of wind. And it does not say there was rain. It says it was a storm of wind. So all that was happening was waves. They're, they're fighting against waves, right? 
And so as I began to do research, they actually believe that these, these waves could have been 9, 10 feet because you're not, you're talking about experts. And if they were fearful for their life, it, it had to be bad. If you're waking up Jesus and saying, you don't even care that we're about to die, right? There, some, something's bad. It's, it's not a little wave. And I want you to notice something in Scripture. Jesus says peace to the storm, even though there's a struggle in the character, even though they're struggling with fear, even though they're struggling with doubt in who he, he still, he still pe- brings peace to the situation. And so I think sometimes what, what we do in our Christian walk is we say, well, I've got to be perfect. I've got to achieve this really deep understanding of who God is. And I've got to be living a certain way for God to allow peace in my life, for God, for me to somehow earn peace. You don't earn peace, right? You get to know the God of peace. And that is who the disciples knew. They knew the God of peace. The God of peace was with them. And so he had all power. And they did not have to worry about insecurities, things that they, God was still working out in them. Jesus was still working with them. They were traveling with him. He was working on their character, right? on a daily basis. And so he didn't, he wasn't waiting for this ultimate state of perfection from them. He was saying, I'm going to speak peace into the situation. And then they marvel. Who is this person? Right? They start to have some deeper realization. And when God speaks peace, you are going to begin to have a deeper realization of who you're with. And that's called relationship. And when you have situations in your life where God gives you peace but does not take you from the storm, you get to know a depth of who he is in a greater way, right? And so your storm or the the way that life looks is not directly related to how God sees you. It has nothing to do with it. Because life is life, and things are going to happen. But we have to understand this has nothing to do with how God sees me, because the enemy will try to whisper that to you. Oh, you must have really messed up. God's mad at you. Or you didn't do it right. Or you, you must not be spending enough time in your prayer closet. I've been there. The enemy will assault you with all kinds of things in your mind to get you to not trust that the maker of your life has got it. And he has got it, church. He has got you. He has got your situation. There is no situation that he does not see or care about. And changing that situation does not mean he loves you any more or any less. So whether he's currently got you going, I feel, I feel the Holy Ghost right now because God has this real clear in my mind. Whether you are, are being saved and rescued or God is saying, not now, he loves you just as much. There is no difference. 
There is no difference. And what you can say in your spirit is, oh, the depth of how I am going to know him when this is over, when he decides that it's over, when he decides that he's going to clear it all up. Oh, how I will know him. Oh, how I will trust him. Oh, how much more I will love him because I will have weathered the storm and he will have been there the whole time. Can we stand? Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. I feel to tell somebody tonight, your, your situation may not be changing. And some of you are in here have prayed about the same situation for a long time. But that situation is in the hands of God. And I want you to look within right now. Can we do that? Can we close our eyes? I want you to look within, and I want you to think about the situation. I want you to think, have I changed? Have I grown deeper and closer to my God because this situation is here? Has he given me a greater understanding of who he is because of this situation? Have I maybe been seeing it wrong? Have I maybe been seeing it not the way he wants me to see it? I've been seeing it as, as a bad storm that just won't end. It feels like a bad dream. It feels like it just needs to end. And really, that's not how he wants me to see it. He's trying to get to know me. He's wanting me to know the depth of his peace. A couple years ago, before I had Blake, my husband and I suffered a miscarriage. Like right before Blake. And I had, that was my second miscarriage that I had suffered. I felt to, t to share this tonight as I was preparing. I threw it in last minute. And... I remember the first time I walked through it and I had asked the Lord, please, please don't make me walk through this again. If anyone in here has ever suffered a miscarriage or knows someone that has, it's a very, it's a very personal thing and it can be really painful. And I remember praying that prayer and saying, God, please don't bring me back here ever again. I don't know that I could handle it twice. And then he did. He took me back there a second time. And immediately, when I was told that I had lost that second baby, I remembered that prayer. I remembered that I had asked God, please don't take me back here again. This is hard. And I remembered that up in the doctor's office, and I was alone that day because I was just going for a scheduled appointment. And I remember just like fog, you know, because you're like, this isn't happening. That's what your brain starts telling you. This isn't happening again. I'm not doing this. This is, I'm not even here. This is a bad dream. I'm going to wake up. It's all going to be over and I'll be fine. And I had, I had to meet with some, uh, with one of the doctors. And so it took a little bit longer, but I got out to my car. I made it to my car without falling apart. Like I, I 
did not want to f- cry in that office. I had no family with me, I, you know. And I got in, I, my car was in the parking structure. And turmoil, I'm talking like, there was chaos in here, in here. I was feeling it all over and I closed my car door. And I remember putting my hands on the steering wheel and I wanted to say something that was not nice to God. But what came out of my mouth instead is, God, I trust you. And when I heard myself say that, everything went still. Because I knew in that moment God was saying to me, Becky, you're not back here again because I don't care about that prayer. You're back here again because you can handle it. You're back here again because I trust you. And I know you'll come through it. And there was a peace that followed that. An unreal peace. I'm not saying I never cried. Because you will. When something's painful, that's the reaction God gives us. He gave us our emotions. You will cry when it hurts. He's not going to remove emotions from you. But he's going to give you a peace in the midst of it that you can't understand. And so I I didn't just bring a can up here with me tonight because I was going to cook for you or anything. This is a can of sweetened condensed milk. And alone, this is just milk and sugar, right? Just really, really sweet milk. You could ingest it could drink it it's great right really sweet stuff right but if you take this can and you place it into a boiling pot of water for a couple hours and you don't take the lid off you just put it in just like this and I'm gonna go home and try it and you place it in there for a couple hours you can pull it out and it's caramel Didn't know that, huh? Maybe some of you did. But I'd like to liken sweetened condensed milk by itself like trust and humility. But when put in a pot of, when you mix those with boiling situations, you get peace. Because it's how you see it. It's how you handle it. It's how you walk through it that it it gets even sweeter. And I feel I feel in my spirit tonight that there are some of you that want God to use you in greater things. You've breathed things in your prayer closet and I think that's what I want to use this time for tonight. Is God, help me to trust you more. Help me, God, to humble myself like Jonathan so your perfect will can be done in not just my life, 
and everyone around me. Can we come to the front tonight? Maybe you want to seek peace for yourself. Maybe there are some things in your relationship with God that you're like, you know what, I want to pray about that. Maybe there's peace you want for someone else or a relationship that you have or a situation that you're facing. Whatever it is that maybe you thought of it tonight while I was speaking, you're like, oh, that, I could apply that to this situation. I want you to begin to pray. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us in a prayer. And I want you to begin to pray and say, God, I want that in my life. I want to begin to work on peace for me so that I can be effective for others. Can we lift our hands here tonight? Jesus, I thank you, God, for this congregation. I thank you, Lord, for God the character, the the things, God, that, that we possess, Lord, within our person, Lord, that you are so loving and faithful that you want to refine places. God, someone in here tonight, I feel, I still feel such a witness in my spirit, God. Someone in here is a Jonathan. Someone in here, God, has that spirit in their heart and they, they God, are wanting more. They're wanting to be used more. They're so concerned about your kingdom flourishing that they don't care who gets the credit. They don't care who gets the glory. They just want you, God. They just want your work furthered in such a desperate fashion, Lord, that they're willing to lay down and even let someone else crawl across them to get to the place that is needed. I pray tonight, God, that you would break that wide open in this place. Break that wide open in this place, God. Such a love, God. Such an esteeming, God, of of my brother, of my sister, God, that I see their needs, God. And I want, God, better for them than I want for myself. Because I know that is the pathway to peace, God. And I'm going to seek it. I want to pursue it, Lord. Come on, can we lift our voices here tonight? I believe God is calling some of us. And we don't need to be somber in our prayers tonight. We need to reach to heaven. We need to reach beyond. He's calling some of us to that. Come on, some of you intercessors. Lift your voice tonight. You're feeling it for someone else, maybe. Maybe there's someone else. Maybe there's a situation in someone else's life that you're, you're so attached to it right now. And you're so concerned. I want you to turn that concern into a prayer right now. I don't want to be concerned. I want to have faith for it. I want to trust you for it. I'm going to lay that person down right now at your feet, God. I can't fix it, God. Oh, but you can. Oh, I trust you, God. I I do a trust fall back into your arms tonight. 
because there's no one that can do it but like you, God. There's no one that can fix it. And peace is not striving. And so I'm not going to strive tonight. I'm not going to strive. Come on, this is family tonight. This is family tonight. We don't need to minister to anyone. We need to cry out to God and say, Lord, I want what you want. God, I desire what you desire. Your will be done, God. Your way, God. Have your way. Have your way. Oh, I feel such liberty in this place tonight. Come on, begin to ask him for something. Begin to ask him for something. God, I want to see you do this. This feels hopeless to me, God. I need help in this area, God. Come on, can we divest ourselves a little bit here tonight? Get honest with your Savior. Get honest with him. God, I can't do this part alone. That's humility right there. I can't do it on my own, God. I have trouble with this area. The enemy does not like when we call out things. Can we begin to call out things? Things that we want to work on. Things that we feel depleted in. Things that we feel hopeless about. Oh God, I just don't know. But I want your will and I want your way. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, you are the ultimate Lord. I give it to you, Jesus. 